Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn today to Acts chapter 2, and verse 44 says, And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And here we see, uh, now after after uh, Peter has preached his message there on the day of Pentecost. Uh, We saw that the people that believed, they were baptized in accordance with the instruction that Peter gave there. It told us in verse 41 that there were about 3,000 souls added to them that day. And, and at the end of the message last time, we saw it talked about how they, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. It talks about the signs and the wonders, the miracles that were done among them. And here you see then, uh, as, they, as they continue on then in that doctrine, it describes the state of that, that church there at Jerusalem. And it describes how they had all things common. It says they were together and had all things common. It says that they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, uh, you may, you may be familiar with the term, um, from each according to his ability and to each according to his need. That's a, that's a tenant of a, a, you know, the system of government and economics called communism. And in a sense, they are practicing communism here. They have all things in common. You see, it says they parted to all men as every man had need, right? And now this is not something, understand, this is not something that's being imposed on them. Rather, what you see there is that um, that, that having all things in common is, a, is an expression of just the attitude there among these saints at Jerusalem. You see, it says at the end of of verse 46, or if you read all of verse 46, it says, They, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There is such a fellowship there among these saints at Jerusalem that this is just a natural expression of it. Uh, Now, nowhere do you have Christ, you know, instructing these disciples that they need to have everything in common and, and live in that way. Now, he did instruct people about giving to the poor, about loving your neighbor as yourself, and you know, have, living with everything in common, that's, that's loving your neighbor as yourself, right? To, to keep, you know, keep possession and say, this, this thing is my own to the exclusion of anybody else means you're loving yourself more than you're loving somebody else. To love your neighbor as yourself would, would be what it describes there. And here as these saints have this same care for one another, it, the, word, the, the term it uses there is one accord. 
And here early in the book of Acts, we see that over and over and over again, that they're living with one accord, which, which means that they're having this like-mindedness, this same mind one toward another, and they're taking as much care for the fellow believers' needs as they are for their own needs, right? And so, so you see it describes that they have, they're in one accord, they're doing this with, with singleness of heart, Right? So it's not something being imposed on them out of, out of necessity. It's something that they're just willingly doing. Since here on the day of Pentecost, uh, there have been many religious movements that have tried to live like these believers were here soon after the day of Pentecost. Uh, the, the reality is, actually, you'll see as we go in, into the book of Acts, that there begin to be more and more problems here with this you know, living in, in common. That that this living in common sometimes can work among, again, a very unified group of people for a short period of time. It's not something that tends to work very well over a long period of time, and it doesn't work at all among diverse people that have different, you know, different uh, uh, values and, and that kind of thing. That's why when you see where a nation tries to impose communism on, you know, on itself or on its people, that it doesn't work. All right, it winds up being a. a Thing, you know, even here, uh, by the way, the result there with Ananias and Sapphira is that they actually died because of their deceit there. Uh, but but um, here they're doing this in the short term. Remember as well where they are at in the progression of events. Hasn't Peter just told them that there's this judgment that's coming? Didn't he, didn't he tell them you know, that the, the pouring out of the Spirit there on the day of Pentecost was the beginning of the end, the last days? And that uh, you know, Christ is going to come and make His enemies His footstool? These people are being prepared to go through the tribulation period. And, you know, they wouldn't have everything that's written in the New Testament yet about the tribulation period, but they certainly would know what Christ had taught in his earthly ministry, and they certainly would know the, the, you know, just the numerous passages from the Old Testament that talk about that time of judgment leading up to the second coming of Christ. And they're preparing to live in a, in a time where they aren't going to be able to live just life as usual and go on in their businesses and in their occupation and that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, you know, even the Old Testament had promised of how the Lord was going to take, you know, take these believers in this time out into the wilderness and provide for them there. And so they're, they're you know, willing to do this, not, not with the mindset that, you know, it's going to be thousands of years into the future that believers are going to continue to live like this at all times. They're looking at the completion of, of Bible prophecy and they come and they, they sell their possessions. Now keep in mind these possessions that they are selling. You know, these are, are possessions in some cases probably that had been inherited. You know, we, we have, we live very differently just in our in our culture than what these people did. And, you know, we have a lot of things. You know, you might have some things that you inherited from your parents, but probably most of what you have, you've, you know, you've accumulated in your lifetime. That wasn't necessarily so with these people. 
So if they had property, it was probably property that had been handed down through the family. If they had some kind of a trade and had the, you know, the kind of capital that goes along with that trade, had tools and that kind of thing, it's probably not just something they went down to the hardware store and bought. It's probably something they inherited from their father and he from his father. And they had, you know, all these, these possessions and things that they just begin to, to disencumber themselves. They begin to get rid of these things. Uh, again, remember Christ in describing this period of time that they're looking to enter into, that Peter says is beginning these last days. Christ tells them there's going to come a point in that period of time where when you see certain things happen, you aren't even supposed to go into your house to grab anything extra to take with you. And so what's the use of having all of these possessions and having land and all of these things when the time prophetically was soon coming where they were going to have to just just leave? And so they begin to sell what they have. They, they live off of the value of those things and they have everything in common. Now, later, when you get into the dispensation of grace and you see that that prophetic program has been put on hold in those events that begin to take place there on the day of Pentecost, there's a, there's a pause put in there, there's a parenthesis put in there, then you, you begin to see, so the Apostle Paul, for instance, when he describes about giving, he certainly doesn't describe a situation where the church would have everything in common. In fact, he give, the Apostle Paul gives you instructions about what kind of people the church ought to provide for their physical needs and what kind of people it ought not. The Apostle Paul tells you that if any will not work, neither shall he eat. Right? The idea is not that you're just going to live and have everything in common, but you need to go out and work and, and provide. Now, the Apostle Paul certainly does talk about giving, and there's a, there's a similar principle there. You know, one of the places where, where uh, Paul is, is he's taking up a collection for some poor saints, and he says that, as he describes like to the Corinthians, uh, how the Corinthians were not in the kind of dire straits that these people he was taking the collection up for, that they were in. And what he says is, right now you can give to them and meet their need, and later on there might be a situation where they have to give to meet your need. Now that's kind of similar to what's going on there, but, but not, to, not maybe to the same extreme as what's taking place after Pentecost. Right? The idea that you would give to meet somebody else's need, and sometime when you have a need, they, they'll, they'll give to meet that. Right? But uh, it's, it's no accident, by the way, that once you get into the dispensation of grace, once you get in, you know, later on here, it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul is having to take up a collection for the poor saints at Jerusalem. In fact, go, go over and see that. Go to uh, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. In Romans 15, verse 25, he says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And he says, when therefore I've performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Now, when he talks about the poor saints at Jerusalem, those poor saints at Jerusalem are some of these same people here that are living, having everything in common. And here is Paul writes some, some uh, 25 years later 
uh, as he writes, these saints there at Jerusalem are poor. When you think about what they, what they gave up, uh, again, in selling these possessions, these weren't things that they could easily go back and, and acquire again. Right? This wasn't just a, a lifetime's worth of possessions that they, in some cases, were, were selling and having everything in common. These were, in some cases, many lifetimes, many generations worth of possessions. And again, you, you, know, you think about if, if, for instance, if somebody was a, a tradesman and they sell the possessions that they have of their tools, that's not something that's just easy for them to go and acquire again. Right? And so here, you know, 25 years later, these saints at Jerusalem that, that were living having everything in common, now 25 years later, when Paul writes Romans, they're the poor saints at Jerusalem. They're poor saints because God put a, again, put a delay there in that prophetic program. Had, had that delay not come in, had this dispensation of grace in which we live not been inserted there, these, these saints would have lived off the value of those possessions through that tribulation period, and gone into the kingdom. And so Paul, when he's writing about this collection, he's saying, you Gentiles that now have this, this, you know, this new position in the plan of God because of the dispensation of grace, these people have a need and you have a responsibility to go back and provide some of that need. You've become partakers of their spiritual things, the spiritual things that, that belong to them. You Gentiles have been let in on, on those things. Now you need to go and administer to them in the carnal things. Okay, so God didn't leave. When What I'm saying is when God did bring in the dispensation of grace, when he did, um, you know, insert that delay there, as far as just the, the physical circumstances of those saints at Jerusalem, they were left in a, in a worse place. But God didn't leave them without provision, and he uses then the Gentiles to go back and, and provide for those people uh, who again, who were no longer uh, able to, to support themselves in the way that they were here right after the day of Pentecost. All right, so, so um, these saints here, again, in expectation of, of that, you know, that tribulation period to come, and just out of that singleness of heart and that one accord that they had, they live in this way. And, and by the way, when you look at when a, uh, a sort of a communistic, socialistic type system has worked among various groups, it's, it tends to be among groups that are, again, very unified and, and have some unifying purpose behind it. It's never something that can be imposed on somebody and make it work, and it's not imposed on them here. You don't see any instruction. You don't see anybody telling them to live this way. It's just they have this one accord, this singleness of heart, that causes them to, to live in this way here after the day of Pentecost. Uh, go, go back to Acts chapter 2. Now, notice what these people are doing. It says in verse 46 that they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Notice that they're continuing daily in the temple. These people have not, they have not converted to a new religion that, you know, would, would cause them to forsake the temple. They're there daily in the temple. In fact, if anything, they're more involved in the temple than they were before. 
uh, here they're they're continuing there daily, and they're continuing not just they're they're not just going there, you know, like you might go to to some temple of some false religion to tell people truth and try and get them to come out of that. They're not going to the temple to say you need to stop this temple worship because because. You know, we know who the Messiah is. That's not what they're doing. They're there in, involved in temple worship. And you see that, again, through, through the book of Acts. Um, go, skip, skip all the way ahead to Acts chapter 21. Um, notice here in, in uh, verse 18, for instance, it says, The day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. You see, these, these people here uh, at Jerusalem, these saints at Jerusalem, they, they, don't, they haven't, haven't been taught that they're not under the law. Um, and, and even here, you know, once you get toward the end of the book of Acts, you see these are the believers at Jerusalem. And what are they zealous of? They're zealous of the law. And they're involved in that keeping of the law. They are not here, you know, doing away with the, the types and figures of the law. Uh, rather, they're continuing in those things. Now, certainly, they have a greater understanding of the significance of the things that they're doing than what the unbelieving Jew would have had. But the, to, to these saints in Acts chapter 2, the idea of a, of a Christianity that is separate from Judaism it would, was completely foreign to them. Um, their belief was very much involved with that temple and with that law, with that Old Testament law. Uh, you see how, how James um, kind, of, kind of is bragging about the fact that there's these thousands of Jews that believe and that they're all zealous of the law, and he's speaking about none other than that Old Testament law, that law of Moses. So here, even in even in Acts twenty one, and when you're in Acts twenty one, again you're you're talking like twenty five years after the day of Pentecost, something like that, a little more than that, really. Uh, twenty five years after the day of Pentecost, and you see the saints of Jerusalem are still. Uh, taking full part in temple worship and in the sacrifices and the offerings, right? So when it says that these, these believers at Jerusalem are continuing daily in the temple, again, they're not there, you know, trying to convince the Jews we don't have to do this anymore. They're there taking part in all of those things of, of the temple worship. It's just now they see new significance. They see how those things were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back there to our, to our text in Acts chapter 2 then. And so they're continuing, verse 46 says, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Now, if you're going to have everything in common, um, you're going to have to have a, you know, a way to, to distribute the things. People are going to have to eat every day and, and that kind of thing. They're not doing that in the temple. Remember, as they're going into the temple, they're there uh, among a majority of Jewish people who are not believers in Christ, but they go into the temple daily, but then they come out of the temple and they go into these various houses, house to house, and that's where they break bread. And there they're meeting together at just, just as believers in Christ. When they go into the temple, they're there as believers in Christ who see the significance of the things going on, but that temple is full of all kinds of unbelievers who are you know, going through the motions without seeing the significance 
But they come out of that temple and they go from house to house and there they break bread as believers in Christ. And there they have everything in in common. Uh, You see that they don't see any need to go and set up a a separate church building here. I mean, they go, you know, they go to, to to the temple and... You know, as as things spread outside of Jerusalem, they would have been in the synagogues and those kinds of places. But then they meet together as believers in Christ to to break bread together, to eat meals together. Uh, these meals would be now. Now, these weren't. You know, we talk about about the Lord's Supper being a fellowship meal. Realize here, every meal they were eating together was a fellowship meal. Right? They're eating there together in one in one accord. With it says they did it with gladness. And singleness of heart, praising God, it says, and having favor with all the people. Now here, as they're doing this, when it says having favor with all the people, it's not going to be very long before they don't have favor with all the people anymore. Um, you know, even, you know, the people, they would be talking about the unbelievers. They've got, they're praising God and they've even got favor with the unbelievers there. It's not going to be very long. It's not going to be too many, too many uh, chapters ahead. In fact, in the next chapter, uh, you're going to begin to see a turn there where the people begin to become persecutors of them. But here at this point, they're having favor with all the people. And you see, it says the, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You have those 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And every day they've got more people that are coming to, to believe on Christ. Now, we've talked about as we've looked through this chapter here in Acts chapter 2, how much of the church, most of the church today is trying in various ways to recreate and to emulate what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. They try to recreate the, the speaking in tongues. They try and recreate the, um, you know, just the, the move of the Holy Spirit there. Uh, they, they try and emulate the water baptism and, and the various things there and all the things going there on the day of Pentecost. If there's anything there on the day of Pentecost that, that the church today ought to be seeking to emulate, it's not those things. It's not the signs and wonders. It's not the, it's not the water baptism. It's certainly not the temple worship. But it, is, it ought to be the singleness of heart. That one mind, that, that, you know, that singleness of heart that they had. Um, it's, that's why the Apostle Paul says that we're to have the same mind one toward another. And so often when, when the Bible talks about believers being like-minded, it's not, it's not just talking about believing the same doctrine, although certainly there's an element of that. And yet really what it's talking about is it's talking about this care that believers ought to have for fellow believers, to, to care for one another in that way. Now again, you're given further instruction later in the epistles when it comes to, to you know, physical things and meeting people's physical needs. Uh, for instance, like I said, the Apostle Paul says, if, if any will not work, neither shall he eat, right? There's somebody, he tells you, even if they're a believer, don't, you know, don't provide for them. Uh, he gives instruction, for instance, about widows and, and even puts an age limit and says, you know, these older widows that meet certain requirements, the church ought to provide for them. Younger widows, the church ought not. Right? So he's not just talking about a, you know, a physical, a physical thing. There's situations where you ought to provide for people's physical needs and you ought, ought not. But he's talking about, again, just having the same care one for another. And that care for one another, um, you see it, you know, you see some of the best examples in a passage like Philippians chapter 2. You can turn over there. Let's look at a couple more passages and then we'll close. Philippians chapter 2.
verse 1 says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. There's that term again. It said the disciples in Acts 2 were of one accord. Here he says, be one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife, or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he presents Christ as the ultimate example of that. You see, that one accord, that like-mindedness that we ought to have as believers, again, not just about being right about doctrine. Now, you ought to be like-minded about that as well. But Really, he's talking here about having care for one another as believers. To have the same love, to esteem others better than yourself. That's what they were doing after the day of Pentecost. That's what they were doing in, in you know, selling what they had and providing to every man as, as he had need. As they were saying, that individual, I'm going to esteem him better than myself. And these possessions that I have, that I like... That, that I value, I'm going to give them up and I'm going to esteem his, this brother's need more than my own. And you see, you see, that's the thing that the church ought to emulate. If there's anything there from that, that Pentecostal church that the church today ought to emulate, it's that. And you know, the way you do that um, is, not, is not just by trying harder to be nice to people. Colossians chapter 3 Verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And, and you notice verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, uh, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Those are all the things that keep, those, those members which are upon the earth, are the things that keep believers from being in one accord. And Paul says, put them to death. And he, he says, putting them to death, you do as you set your affection on things above. You know, an interesting thing about, about verse 2 there when it says, set your affection on things above. Um, you know, that same word, affection, you often see it in other places in the Bible in the plural, affections. And in fact, many people in quoting this verse misquote the verse and say, set your affections on things above. You know, if you do a word study on those two words, affections and affection, affections in the plural is almost always negative. It has the idea of somebody who doesn't have singleness of heart, but rather is, you know, stretched in all these different directions. And they have an affection over here, an affection over there, an affection for that thing, an affection for that thing. And, and you know, it's, they're all over the place. That's the affections. That's the, way, that's the way we naturally are, right? And that's why we misquote the verse and, and talk about setting our affections on things above is we so often think of affections as just these multiple things that we value and that we desire. But it doesn't say set your affections on things above. It says set your one affection on things above. See, that's when, when Acts 2 talked about singleness of heart, those people weren't pulled in all those, all those directions. In fact, one of the advantages of getting rid of all those possessions was that helps you to have a singleness of heart. 
right? You don't have all those other things to worry about. But you see, he, he talks here about a single affection. And you know, when, again, when he talks about having, you know, being in one accord and being of like mind, it's not just everybody trying harder to be nice to each other, but it's rather everybody setting their one affection on the same thing, on those things above, on those spiritual things. And by everybody setting their affection on the same thing, those people are naturally pulled together in one mind, in like-mindedness. And it's so easy to get distracted by all these other things. It's easy, it, you know, oftentimes, and, and this, is, this is often true, that even church activity can wind up being a distraction from what really our one affection ought to be. And all of a sudden we start setting our affections here and there and, and everywhere else and we lose, we lose track of that one affection. But as believers set their one affection on those things above, you can't help but be drawn together. You can't help but have a like-mindedness and a care for one another and have that singleness of heart, that same kind of singleness of heart that you see among those believers uh, there in Acts chapter 2. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.